to see for yourselves one of the most amazing events. When is this great experiment for me? Impervious to heat, impossible to move. Is it human or inhuman? Gentlemen, do you realize what we've found? It's time for the Geeky Drummy Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Welcome back to uh, the gaming review of the decade. Uh, this is part two. I am Lee Price, and I'm here with Ryan Parrish, Guy Halford, and Keith Bloomfield. Let's get back to it. Uh, yeah. So, what the way this is going to work is we're going to run through year by year. Um, I'm going to I've picked out what I feel are the most defining games of each year. Not necessarily the best ones, but just sort of the games that kind of defined what was going on with gaming and what the trends were at the time. And then for each year, we're each going to pick out our favorite game of that year. So for 2015, um, sort of touched on the live service thing, we saw more live service stuff come out. We saw things like Heroes of the Storm and Rocket League and Evolve happen. Uh, we also had quite a lot of games come out that year. We had things like Arkham Knight, Metal Gear Solid V, uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, Bloodborne, Halo 5, Until Dawn, all that sort of thing. Um, Assassin's Creed for that year was Syndicate, and they also did the weird Chronicles side-scroller things as well. Syndicate was a good one. It was a London one. That was the London one. I like that one. And the Call of Duty for that year was Black Ops 3. Um, Defining Games, this one was another sort of tricky year, but the first one I went with was Fallout 4. Just because it was one of those big hyped games for most of the year kind of thing. Everyone kind of knew it was coming. Hey there, another village needs your help. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Obviously, you know, sort of a mixed reaction on release. You know, there are plenty of people who've Really love it. Plenty of people have felt disappointed by it. But, you know, it was kind of one of the big games of that year that just had that hype behind it, had that push. I think the problem was New Vegas was actually better than Fallout 3 mm. and Obsidian did a fantastic job. Mm. And then Fallout 4 was just more of the same of Fallout 3 yeah. with more just randomly generated missions. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was one of the, those sort of big hype things for that year. Yeah. It's like one game that I just kept hearing about constantly. Um, but in terms of games that I kept hearing about constantly, pretty much all of these are just games that I heard about constantly in that year. Mm. Second one being Witcher 3, which is another one that sort of just tons of people... I play. think that one's going to top every sing- everybody's game of the decade. Yeah, it's one, of the, it's one of those things that's like so many people consider it to be one of the greatest Western RPGs. And it kind of... That game kind of helped elevate the Witcher series because it was around and it had its, you know, had it was popular enough, but it kind of exploded with that game. I think it kind of helped elevate its profile to such a degree that now the Witcher is getting a Netflix series, even if it is based on the books more than the games. But I kind of feel like maybe that wouldn't have happened if the Witcher three hadn't exploded in the way that it had. Um, my third game, again, another one I kept hearing about, and it kind of, for me, kind of showed just how far indie games had kind of entered the public consciousness because I picked Undertale as a defining game because it was just such it kind of came out of nowhere and then suddenly loads of people were talking about it and it was just kind of almost everywhere and it was just doing doing such unique things it was basically like a JRPG style game but you could just befriend everyone instead of fighting and it really kind of did something interesting with that and I think just because it was so talked about and it just kind of showed the weird ideas that are coming out of the indie scene that were resonating with a lot of people. Yeah, I feel like it kind of helped define the year a little bit. So, there we go. Well, it was tr- really tricky to nail it down to just one this year because there were two games that I, that I liked a lot. Uh, so, an honourable mention must go to Metal Gear Solid Five. For the inclusion of a lot uh, of um, a uh, lot of good songs, because <laughs> there were New Order songs in there and David Bowie songs in there, the and whatever it is. <laughs> but the game that I ploughed the most hours into that no, year solid was um, Star Wars Battlefront. Um, played the demo, really liked it, uh, and just spent a lot of time playing the um, the flying elements of that game, which were just really good because. 
what for me that game did was it, it leveled the playing field. So it wasn't a case of like if you played for five thousand hours, you've got all the best weapons and the best armory and all the rest of it. When you were in an X-wing fighter, that was it. You'd got an X-wing, and that was it. There was no power-ups. There was no kind of like benefit to any player for playing a long time. So you could come in, and if you just played well, you you could you could do. So you didn't have you didn't you weren't penalised by not playing it immediately from the game the, the minute the game was released. I think that's loads of hours into it. The problem with Battlefront Two because it basically just turned into well, basically I think what happened with Battlefront Two was they they listened to gamers, which is a bad idea because they went, oh, this is I want I want Call of Duty in the Star Wars universe. It was like no no no. The first game was Star Wars. The second game was Call of Duty pretending to be Star Wars, and they ruined it as a result. The single player mission wasn't too bad. It was the multiplayer side. I mean, I played, I played a ton of hours into Star Wars Battlefront. You can tell that when Battlefront 2 came out, I didn't play as many hours into that. The flying mm. sections were completely knackered by the fact that they decided to go. What's really interesting about space flight is there's stuff everywhere, so you can't fly. You have to avoid obstacles. So most of your time spent avoiding things. But that's talking about another game. But Star Wars Battlefront, I just loved it. It was nicely balanced. The characters, the choices of characters was good. The team play was good. The kind of um, modes were good. Walker Assault was great. Um, so it was it was Star Wars. It was I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to move into Dawn. That was such a great game. That is a really good choice, and it almost made my favorite. <laughs> It, it, it's it, you know it got it got a bit of slack at the time, mm. but it's like it's a real fun game just to play with people. Yeah. So me and Laura sat and played it, and we made decisions together. We found ourselves rooting for characters, disliking characters. Yeah. It, it is it is an interactive film. There's not a lot to it. There's not a lot of action that you have to get involved with. But you, you know it's it's just it is fun. You know I like films like Scream and stuff like that, and it reminded mm. me of things like that. It's not particularly scary, but it's just fun. And then you have that kind of drive that you want characters to survive. Like, we were adamant we wanted Mike to survive. Mm-hmm. Even though he started off being a complete douchebag at the beginning, but we just wanted Mike to survive. So, yeah, he didn't, we didn't save him. Uh, we saved Kane Patio's character instead. But just like, just that desire, like, whatever we, whatever we do, we need to get Mike through this. <laughs> and, like, it's really hard now watching things like Bohemian Rhapsody, seeing Rami Malek and not thinking of Josh from Until Dawn. <laughs> You know, it's it, it's a great game. It's replayable because there's different options and different routes you can take. Like, if I was to play it again now, I don't think I'd entirely remember the full plot of the game. So, for me, it'd be, it'd be a great replay because I'm not necessarily sure I'd make the same decisions again or try and save the same people. So, I think it's got replayability. I really enjoyed Until Dawn. Um, I played it as a Halloween special on my YouTube channel. Um, so, basically, pretty much every terrible decision I made is available to view on the internet. Um, but it's, it is, there are so many tense moments in that just from you trying to save everyone, you trying to protect people. There are some characters that you kind of like, you know, I don't care if you die. But, um, but I mean, you're right about Mike as well because he is very much a terrible character at the start, but oh, you end up really liking him. Like, um, but yeah, and also it's the psychiatrist as well. Mm. Peter Stormare. Yeah. It just does this like weird psychiatrist that's asking you weird questions every so often and just it's just it is a really good it just tells a really good story as well. And it does sort of feed off that whole slasher flick idea and it even kind of subverts what you'd expect you should because like there's a lot of people who kind of know the rules and it kind of deliberately breaks some of those rules mm-hmm. just to mess with you. Yeah. So I really like that, yeah. It was almost my favourite, so I definitely agree with that choice. I went with Assassin's Creed Syndicate. No. Because... What? Someone chose an Assassin's Creed game? I think it's been the best of the modern Assassin's Creed games, to be honest. It is a good game. Uh, Victorian London is a great setting for it. Um, you get a, quite a lot of depth of story with the Charles Darwin, Charles Dickens spin-off stories, the Karl Marx storylines that you get in. So it's not just all about kill some Templars. You get some variety in the game. Uh, I think it actually worked quite nice having Jacob and Evie Freud and being able to switch and having one more stealthy character versus one more uh, punchy character, basically, and just having that kind of a different take on the Assassin's Creed genre and not being ancient times mm. and the same tush 
over and over again, like they did with Assassin's Creed 2, where they released three of the same game. Mm. Yeah, I mean, with um, Syndicate, it's one I've wanted to play just because of the setting. Yeah, well, like, and um, it is really nice to play in Victoria de Lugia. Like, I have it, but I just yeah. haven't got around to playing it yet. But Yeah, it actually works quite nicely with the high-rise industrial mm-hmm. design of the city. It still yeah. works quite nicely for how to play an Assassin's Creed game rather than Origins or Odyssey where yeah. you've got three buildings which you can climb up. Yeah. It's nice they can get it right. Yeah. No oh. loss of a chance. Yeah. And after Unity the year before it was kind of a Yeah. This this is kind of fixed some of its sins and I think it's suffered more because of Unity than yeah, and I think, it should have done. I think as well like Syndicate spent them longer in development. Yeah. Because I think they were made by different teams and Syndicate I think they started development around the same time. Yeah. And Syndicate had the benefit of an extra year of development, yeah. and it, showed, it probably it really shows. shows yeah. yeah. So um, my favorite, I went through it like I almost picked on Tordon, but I ended up going with uh, Splatoon, just because it's one of the few multiplayer only games that I've properly gotten into. Um, it's just I really like the, just the, the fun art style. I just love the fact that it's like the turf war gameplay, um, and just I just like a lot of the designs and, and everything going on. And I love that pretty much everything in that game is a pun. On something aquatic, in some way, and it's uh, it's just a lot of fun, really. And just I've put so many hours into both that and its sequel that I felt like I had to pick it as my favourite. So, yeah, fair enough. That's my game for twenty fifteen. Uh, moving on to twenty sixteen. Uh, this was the year where VR started coming in because we saw the launch of the Oculus Rift, the HTC Vive, and PlayStation VR. I thought they all came out in separate years. They all came out in twenty sixteen. Just three hundred fifty quid, I waste. <laughs> <laughs> we had Phil spread himself across the studio. Um, we also had uh, the Last Guardian finally came out on the PS4 after however long it's been in development. That was a really good game. Yeah, it? it was in development for forever, and no one thought it was actually going to come out. Twenty sixteen, it finally did. Uh, we also saw games like Gears of War four, Dark Souls three, Doom, Final Fantasy fifteen, The Division, Watch Dogs two, Annex Gone two. Um, we also had some solid indie games that year with things like Darkest Dungeon and Stardew Valley coming out that year and kind of getting pretty big. Um, the Assassin's Creed for that year was the movie. There was no game that year. Oh, well, I forgot <laughs> that movie existed. <laughs> I need to go back into the Animus and delete that thing. <laughs> and the uh, Call of Duty for that year was Infinite Warfare, which by that point sounded like a parody name. Because it honestly did seem like it was just never going to end. Uh, but the defining games for that year... Um, I went with Overwatch as my first choice because, again, another big, huge esports scene, loads of people talking about it. And just go to a convention now and see how many people dressed as like Diva and Tracer and everything. And it's just, it's another one of those things where loads of people are watching on Twitch, loads of people following the esports, and it's just another big Blizzard multiplayer title that's going all over the place. Um, on a sort of more negative side for defining games, I went with No Man's Sky because it kind of set that unfortunate standard of developers hyping up this big game release and then not actually finishing it. Matt, I have issues with that. It wasn't them themselves that hyped yeah. up the game. It was yeah. Sony yeah. trying to build it up like it was yeah. a polished AAA game where yeah. it was just an indie title. Yeah. And they were very clear it was an alpha at launch, mm. and Sony rushed it to market because so they yeah. just decided to blast all their E3 spending. But I think it kind of, it does kind of, it did. It's, sadly, was that yes. poster boy for those sorts of games getting yeah. rushed out by publishers. And, and if, if you play it now, it's actually a very, it very complete yeah. experience. Yeah. It's really, really good. But I think it's one of those things where it kind of, it's one of those games that was not that great at launch, but is good now. But sadly, first impressions kind yeah. of count a lot, and it kind of suffered for it yeah and the third defining game for 2016 well remember the summer when everyone was playing pokemon go oh it was golden times yeah there's two like, weeks where everybody in the world was yeah, to be happy i kind of had to put pokemon go because it's like just it was everywhere at that point just so many people just wandering around the streets catching pikachu and and it was a fun time yeah. So I feel like that was. Uh... Ryan getting uh, getting accused of catching wings, catching wings. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, those are my defining games. What about people's favourites for twenty sixteen? Right. I was going to go with Doom mm-hmm. because that is that a, is a solid a, choice. It is a great game. 
I actually went with two indie titles okay. that have been really cheeky. I went with Reigns. Okay, is that the... A Devolver Digital game. Is that the one which is kind of like a narrative thing, but it's kind of like Tinder and you swipe yes. left and right? Yeah, 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 basically the entire game is controlled by swiping left and right. You're, yeah. the, you're the ruler of a country. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to make yes-no choices about everything. That's and, okay. that, and basically you get a series, of, a deck of cards that you have mm-hmm. to swipe through. And your yes-no choices depend on how long you survive. Mm-hmm. And it's actually quite a compelling little story hidden underneath it. And uh, I really love Devolver Digital stuff they do. Yeah, Devolver Really interesting, great. quirky stuff that you'll never find anywhere else. I just like Devolver as a publisher as well, because if you follow them on Twitter, they will just mock all the crap that's going on yeah. in the industry as well. Like, they don't care. Yeah. And their E3 presentations yeah. the past few years have just been nuts. They're basically Adult Swim... Yeah, experiments that somehow ended up in E3. Yeah, I always remember watching a documentary about E3. They never have a presence on the show floor. Yeah. They'll always just rock up in an Airstream caravan yeah. and put it in the car park. And it's basically like if you want to see our stuff, come out and join yeah. us in the car park. Where they'll put a hot tub up and yeah. have sports outside and all that fun yeah. stuff. So I really like them as a developer mm-hmm. as well as the games that they produce. My other indie choice was Overcooked, which again... Mm-hmm. I'm quite surprised it wasn't in your three big impact games because yeah. it is the great unifier of games. It is mm-hmm. a title that everybody can pick up and play. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can have two players per controller. Uh, basically, it's just a frantic cooking simulator. Yes. But it's it's a game that everybody can really pick up and play. It's really easy to learn. And I think it's inspired quite a few other indie games yeah. since release. Yeah. And it's just a really fun little half an hour yeah. time waster. I think just the reason I didn't pick that as one of the sort of defining games is just it didn't quite have the impact that those yeah. other ones did. So but yeah. I mean quite a few of my friends I know will play that game yeah. as a family experience rather than just it, yeah. it was kind of it, it reminded me of the early days of the Wii where everybody mm. got involved playing. Yeah. Cool. I picked uh, Batman, the Telltale series, um, just because I played a lot of the Telltale games, pretty much all the way through their kind of history. I don't think they've really put out a duff game. I've enjoyed all of them that they've done. Have you played the Um, Game of Thrones game, Keith? Oh, no, I didn't play the Game of Thrones one. (laughs) I had no interest in that. So there there is one duff, uh, there's always (laughs) the one that breaks the rules. Um, But it was just... It was an, an, an alternative take on the Batman story that kind of showed that you can do different branches of the Batman mythos that aren't particularly tied to the kind of comics thing and not being a huge fan of the, the DC film versions, either the Nolans or the Zack Snyder versions. It was just something about this. They played with the characters. They messed about with the history, um, but it was solidly done. Um, storytelling, the you know the animations were kind of nice. The, the the art style was pretty good. Um, so it was just a fun episodic story driven game, which I, I got a lot out of. I have a feeling I might be stealing your thunder here. Okay. Um, Uncharted Four. Yeah, for later. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think we're probably going to be in the same mindset. What a fantastic adventure game that mm-hmm. was. It was. It was like a blockbuster movie. It mm-hmm. was the culmination of everything that Uncharted, you know, the Uncharted series was. You know, they got everything right. It looked beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just a great story. Like, it was just so many good set pieces. Mm-hmm. Just fascinating gameplay. It was just so they, engaging. It, and it was a long game to get through. They improved on a lot of the gameplay as well. Like, things like stealth particularly. Um, I really love how they really iterated on that from previous games and you could to the point where you can just sneak through an area and not actually kill anyone mm-hmm. like you can even get trophies for a couple of locations where you can do that um and just it kind of opened up how you could play it a little bit and the combat felt a little bit more fluid than the previous games as well so on that it definitely but the story was brilliant the story was great I mean I, I really I want the series to continue and obviously mm-hmm. with, the, with the last legacy and I'm pretty sure five will be so, they will do a five and it will be I think, different I, I think the way we're going to go is probably the Lost Legacy is probably the start of where we're going to head next that probably follow up with Chloe I think seems to be the logical thing because Drake's story is done mm-hmm. like they're not going to continue with Drake that's that's done and um, 
in fact, like, I felt that it was a really good end to his story as mm-hmm. well. To the point where I was really happy and satisfied with that ending, but at the same time I was sad leaving his characters behind. Yeah. After having played the series since it came out. And it's just, it was kind of like, oh, I'm happy to sort of leave that behind. But I was also kind of weirdly happy for these characters that they'd had the ending that they did. It was nice as well, like, when you got later into the game, like, every all the characters were kind of part, you know, you're all there, all, all, all four predominant characters mm-hmm. were there, part of a team, working together to, you know, you were all there pretty much to the end. You know, I wish Chloe had been in it, though. Yeah. Like, that was, like, missed I, Chloe. Like, I, I can see like, why they didn't put her in, because of what was coming, but... I think, like, The Lost Legacy was made as a response to them not putting her in, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time that kind of felt like a nice trade-off instead. Um, but also, one of the things I really liked about Uncharted 4 is it just had one of the best depictions of a relationship in a game. Because normally in games, relationships are kind of just half-heartedly done and it's the most lazy thing. It's like, oh, you know, you beat the game, you get the golf sort of thing. But this was like a genuine relationship. You've got Nate and Elena, and they have this fallout in their marriage. Mm-hmm. But then they resolve it in a realistic way. Like, I've seen complaints about, like, oh, it was a really rubbish story. Like, Drake didn't do any big gestures to win her back. It's like, that's not the point. They're a married couple. They know each other, and they know each other well. And mm-hmm. that it's that kind of, you have that awkward tension of them being annoyed at each other, but then they find those little bits that kept them in common, and it all kind of brought them together again. And I feel like that was a much better handling of it. And kind of showed, again, it kind of follows on from, like, The Last of Us of this mature storytelling that's going on in Naughty Dog games. Yeah. Of them just, you know, we don't want to just do these cliche things. We want to try and have people in our games. We don't just want them to be, like, one-note characters. We want these to feel like people. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they did a really good job of that. Yeah. Plus it's about the action sequence as well, where on the the bridge, when you're in a car, I think you swing along the side of a bridge. Yes, yeah. That's superb. Yeah. Like, great action sequence. Mm -hmm. Right, cool. Uh, so for 2017, um, so we had a few different things going on that year. We saw like, um, <laughs> uh, we saw Ninja Theory taking a risk with Hellblade, which was then trying to make an, uh, a triple A style game on an indie budget. Um, we saw like nostalgia with 3D platformers coming back with the return of Crash Bandicoot, and they did that was the year that Ukulele came out. And we saw the disappointment that was Mass Effect Andromeda. Um, uh, we had big games like Horizon Zero Dawn, Destiny 2, Resident Evil 7, uh, Near Automata, and Cuphead all came out in that year. And also, we saw the release of uh, the console that Toki uh, doesn't have, which is the Switch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and across the course of the year, it saw the release of things like Mario and Rabbids, uh, we saw Splatoon 2, we saw Arms, we saw Super Mario Odyssey, we saw Xenoblade Chronicles 2, and it launched. With one of the defining games. But before we get to that, the Assassin's Creed for that year was Origins and Call of Duty was World War II. Um, so, I, have a, I have a question yes. to bring this in. What's been the opinion on reboots? Because this has been something that's been mm-hmm. big. Well, like Modern Warfare 2 being attached to. Well, like the Crash, like you mentioned Crash Bandicoot. Yes. So there's been a lot of like remade versions of the mm-hmm. games. You've got Final Fantasy VII being remade. Like reboots, remakes, re reimagining definitive editions. Yeah, like mm-hmm. things like that coming out. Like it seems to be like a console generation of like we've had a really good old game and we can't think of a better idea, so mm. let's just redo it again. I think we're at a stage now where there's not much more polish you can put on the graphics. All you can do is put the frame rate up. Yeah, there's not much more you can push the PS4 Pro from the PS5 because it's just 4K and that's yeah. pretty much where the limit is with technology now. So I think what they're trying to do is, instead of having to invest so much on new IP, which might fall down, such as stuff like Hellblade, mm-hmm. uh, go back to those old titles, give them a spit and polish, make them look prettier, and you're guaranteed a few bucks. In some cases, I think it's fine if they... Something like the Bioshock Remaster Trilogy. Yeah, that that's worth doing. Yeah, I mean, like obviously, if you're kind of bringing back games that in a way to kind of preserve them I'm fine with that but if you're remaking stuff I feel like you need to do something with it so I feel yeah. like what Final Fantasy 7 a lot of people are kind of iffy on where it's going but I feel like that reinterpretation of what they're doing is good 
because they're doing something different with it. They're not just doing the same game over again. Um, it's the same thing with Resident Evil 2 as well, because that's something new and different and not just a rehash of the first game. Yeah. So I feel like when they do that, it can be worth it. But like the Ca- Castlevania um, yeah. remastered collection, they, they put a few things in where you could have it in the Game Boy style yeah. or I mean, old CRT style. Yeah, the thing with that is that's bringing back old games as a kind of preservation. Yeah. So the thing, so I always welcome that because I feel like no matter how old the game is, you should be able to get hold of these things. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that one, Nintendo are notoriously tight about putting out their old stuff. I know one particular game in that collection, which is Bloodlines, which I don't think had ever received a re-release mm. before. So that was a big thing having that there. It was also yeah. kind of a big deal having um, the Kid Dracula spin-off because that yeah. had never been released in the West. I don't think we're ever going to see a Wii Micro or a mm. Xbox 360 Micro no. or a PlayStation 4 Micro anytime soon. No. No, I think the the PlayStation ones kiboshed that yeah. from start to finish for everyone. Well, there's get I know there's going to be like a I think it's like the Turbo Graphics. Yeah, something and I think like Mega Drive's done one, the Neo Geo yeah. done one, which are the, the Mega Drive control. ones doing some really good stuff actually because yeah. like they're bringing again they're doing this thing of like they're bringing in some games that didn't get a lot of re-releases. Yeah, so it's another way of preserving these older games. And so. they are pretty much just Raspberry Pis with a bit yeah. of a shiny case on. Yeah. Cool. Sorry, I did that. Yeah, it's fine. It's a good point. Um, but yeah, so the first Defining game, like I said, launched with the Switch. It was the Switch's year, and it, I would say the big part of that success was down to Breath of the Wild. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, it really kind of shook up the Zelda formula a little bit, but it, I think the Switch probably wouldn't have done nearly as well as it has done if it hadn't immediately come out the gate with, hey, here's a big new Zelda game. It's yeah. one of those things of like, that's kind of what the Wii U was missing, a big sort of killer, killer app on day yeah. one that, you know, because the and Wii... the thing that they always usually do is release yeah. a Nintendo console with a Zelda game. Yeah, because I mean the Wii... crosses over the generations. The Wii, they had Twilight Princess, and yeah. yeah, that, you know, it sort of ties into that whole thing of like we were talking about before of making sure that just Nintendo doing everything right with yeah. this particular console. And I think... Is it the first Zelda game which has got a true sequel? Breath of the Wild 2 coming out? Um, no, because things like Majora's Mask was a oh. sequel to Ocarina and uh, things like that. Like yeah. And also the uh, Wind Waker had two sequels on the handheld as well. Two of the Game Boy games are sequels. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but um, following on from that, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. Yeah. Because it kicked off the whole Battle Royale thing that's kind of taken over right now. And, uh, I mean, it's been superseded. We'll get to that. Um, but yeah, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds, it's huge. it was huge when it came out. And it kind of, now everyone, and immediately everyone was just like, no, we need a Battle Royale as well, for better yeah. or worse. And um, then, since you touched on Battlefront, Star Wars Battlefront 2 is my final one. And again, this one's all on a more negative because it kind of, it kind of took that whole live service idea into the direction it started heading now and put that unfortunate spotlight on some of the more problematic aspects of what's going on in the games industry. This, this has been one of my biggest annoyances for the second half of this decade mm-hmm. is EA's complete and utter crapping on having the Star Wars mm-hmm. license uh, to release, what, two games in three years of ownership. It was longer than three years of ownership. Yeah, four it's been years. Almost ten. It's been almost ten years. It's been almost ten when they've released two games in that partnership, yeah. And they cancelled stuff like 1313, yeah. which looked like an amazing game. Yeah. Sacking all of LucasArts off. Yeah. And bringing back Lucasfilm games now. And mm-hmm. um, the latest game that they've got coming out, Jedi Fallen Order, yeah. just looks like, oh, we've just taken um, the Starkiller games and just mm. polished them up slightly. But yeah, I mean, yeah. Battlefront 2, though, just kind of took, it kind of, it did more than just that, though. It was the fact it that... It was the wallet kicking that game. It was the wallet kicking, and yeah. it's the fact that that, because it had the Star Wars name attached to it, it got a lot of eyes on it. Yeah. And so you end up with politi- uh, politicians yeah. looking at it now. And well, I remember the infamous Reddit post that EA put, oh God. which was basically something on the line of, gives you a sense of pride and accomplishment, accomplishment when yeah. you unlock one of these characters. Yeah. 
after sixty hours worth of gameplay yeah. to win enough coins. Yeah. And yeah, that that did not go down well. Yeah. So I think you know those. That was obviously a more negative side of it. But let's let's talk about our favourites, shall we? Um, I'm going to go with the easy option here. Breath of the Wild. Breath of the Wild. I picked up my Switch recently. Yep. It's a great game. Fantastic. I, I too have a Switch. <laughs> what is your game of the year, guys? What, mine? For 2017. Are you trying to get a Switch one here? Or? I don't know. Uh, no, no I'm gonna, I'm, I will never complete this game because it's so stupidly hard. Uh, it's it's but it like it doesn't look like anything else ever releases a game. It's 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 punishing. It's relentless. But it's so you just keep on going. Cuphead, it's mm-hmm. killer. But I just I love it. I love everything about it. The music, the style. It's it's just impossible to play. You know, I'll I'll, I'll, say I'll never get through that whole game in my lifetime because it's just you just have to just sit there days and days and crap. Mm-hmm. And I get frustrated and an angry man. But what I can play of it, and as far as I can get with it, I love it. It's great. It's mm-hmm. you know, it's it's just a pick up and play. You play for five minutes, you get frustrated, you throw it down. Yeah, it's, I, that's that's like I played a little bit of it and not got very far with it for that exact reason. Uh, but the art style and everything is great. It's just such a good throwback to those old cartoons of the twenties and thirties and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. I'll also give Cuphead an honourable mention for my picks for that particularly uh, utterly frustrating <laughs> but frustrating in a way that you, you will come back to it even though I'm still struggling I've not got to the end yet and it's just like you said you, you have to walk away for several months before, <laughs> before you're back in a frame of mind that you can play it uh, another good game that came out that year that I quite liked was A Night in the Woods mm-hmm. um, just the, the graphic no style la, 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 yeah. um, it just, just a, a great game and from the art style you don't expect the content to be what it is uh, if you look at what it looks like and what the kind of story it's telling it's actually quite that's interesting. kind of what intrigues me about it I, it's on my steam library but i haven't touched it yet yeah it's, it's a it's a great game um infinitely playable but uh, what the game that i'm going to pick for that year is going to be you know the one that i've been grinding out most uh, for the last couple of years is, um, is destiny 2 uh just because I can pick it up and play it for 20 minutes and complete a, a, a raid or complete a strike or do a, do a little bit of more progress. And um, although they've had, you've had to pay for a lot of the DLC that comes on there, they, they are constantly expanding the world and making it slightly more interesting and, and um, playable. Um, I don't know enough people to form a good fire team of people that I know, so I'm often kind of like the third wheel or fourth wheel <laughs> in other people's teams where I'm just coverage i'm not actually contributing that much but i do get i do get a lot of fun out of it i do quite enjoy running around and just enjoying you know, a sparrow just uh, i don't yeah i'm really weird well, with that I, i'm one of those weird people that go i know i've got this vehicle attached to one of my buttons but what the heck i'm just gonna run to where i need to go to and so i just spend 20 minutes running to where i need to go to and then somebody goes why don't you get your sparrow out and they go oh yeah um so yeah i'm a bit of a dummy when that comes that but it's, it's just a it's a fun game that I can return to all the time. Suppose guy didn't make a comment about getting the sparrow out. Oh, I just think that. <laughs> Grinding my sparrow. My game of 2017 um, is Persona 5. Um, I I love the Persona series since playing 4 and 5 just like improved on a lot of it. Um, especially with the dungeon crawling where it went from like randomly generated dungeons and into... Um, more kind of structured spaces where you can stealth around and use tactics and different things and just they've sort of improved on a lot of combat mechanics especially like recruiting new uh, personas to use like you uh, explain this game to me because it, yeah. it's kind of a weird one so Persona 5 is a big JRPG where you are a group of Japanese high school students who have access to the uh, metaverse, which is like a sort of alternate dimension formed from the thoughts and feelings of society. And what you do throughout the game, the story revolves around you going to the palaces created by basically sleazy people in the real world. They, they're, they're sort of, they're 
over-the-top personalities and desires have created these places or palaces that sort of manifestations of what they how they see the world. So, for example, the first place you go to is a, is sort of in where the school is. It's it's a teacher's palace, and that teacher is he's a, he's in the real world he's very abusive towards his students. Um, is quite sleazy towards some female students and he sees the school as his castle and he is the king and you go in there and you try and take him down and you kind of gradually work up the social order and you know you go after a celebrity and then like Mm -hmm. someone in the police and then someone in the and then like a ceo and then ultimately you go up against like a guy running for prime minister and it just kind of builds on all that sort of thing and it's just got this really and it it kind of balances this idea of you living as a high school student and doing all this espionage stuff in the, the ultimate world. And a lot of the sort of high school stuff is you kind of make friends and you go hang out with people. But by doing that, you can improve what they call confidants, which were social links in some of the older games. And it gives you more abilities in the metaverse. So you can... Um, so you took all JRPG yeah. overcomplicated. Yeah, but it, it is a lot of fun. The writing's really good, and just the, the the it's a game that is very critical of Japanese society as well. But it sort of tries to skewer different bits of it and talk about this idea of like how you know the levels of politeness and the the way society works in Japan. It kind of mm-hmm. criticizes a lot of it, and it's got a lot of that social commentary that makes it really interesting. I played, uh, I played 22 hours of it and realised it was a 100 hour game and so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's a bit of an investment but yeah, I, I, I ain't got the time for that Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it that, so. And uh, then we come to 2018 which uh, just a year ago um, so we saw uh, Nintendo carrying on with some of their more weird ideas because they released the Labo toys with the cardboard stuff we finally saw the proper end to the Toys to Life fad with that Starlink Battle for Atlas, which appeared and went nowhere. Which um, we played the EGX on the yeah. kind of went out with like a fart. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then we had uh, big games that year, such as like Red Dead Redemption 2, we saw Battlefield 5, uh, Far Cry 5, Monster Hunter World, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, and we had Spider Man on PS4. Uh, the Assassin's Creed for that year was Odyssey and Call of Duty with Black Ops 4. Um, defining game, I mean, I kind of had to say Fortnite. It's it's kind of the big defining game at the moment. Um, it's the one that the mainstream media like to go on about as if it's the only game that exists. And oh no, our children have been corrupted by Fortnite. Um, ah, Nintendo, <laughs> TV, radio. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, it's it, and it kind of swooped, you know. We, we t- I touched on um, PUBG and just how that came out, kicked off the battle royale genre, and then was immediately crushed by Fortnite. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's brought some of the bad of it sort of things yeah. now with the crunch and this whole yeah. brand new fresh content on a monthly rolling basis. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, it's sort of given Epic a lot of money, which they're now using to buy up exclusives on the PC. Yeah. So there is that aspect of it as well. And mm-hmm. sort of on a similar note, we're talking about things that brought in some of the negatives. We've got Fallout 76. <laughs> <laughs> kind of defines where the live service genre has kind of ended up at this point. Yeah. Um, let's launch with literally no content and have like the actual content come out a year later. Um, which And it's kind of become a bit of a laughing stock, but it's kind of showing that I read an article fairly recently, in fact, which shows that a life service idea might already be dying. And Fallout 76 is kind of the big hope that it does. It's just the fact that Fallout 76 has come out and it's it's done so badly. But it's also, we've had things like Apex Legends, we've had Anthem come out since. And Anthem just went nowhere. But Apex Legends, hugely popular on launch, has completely fallen off. And we're kind of seeing that kind of happen. I think Fallout 76 was the beginning, the end for that. Yeah. So I mean, I'm, I'm always going to be a single player mm. game kind of guy. I've, I enjoy Play solo. I enjoy playing solo because it's my downtime. And to be honest, I don't want to be dealing with some dickish 14 year olds mm-hmm. on an online service. No, it's fair. 
and it's just a case like it, it's my time to relax so I want to go and play a single player game yeah. like Sleeping Dogs or yeah. Doom or something it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's there for stress relief it's not something to put yes. in my um, which brings me on to the next one because that article also pointed out that a more profitable direction to head into is solid single player narrative games where yep. you make sure you get them right yes. and that's why I feel like God of War was kind of that flip side of it yes, Dad of Boy <laughs> it's that flip side of it where it was this solid narrative game that did incredibly well and every, loads of people were talking about it and it kind of showed that there is still that place for the mm-hmm. single-player narrative game if it's yeah. done really well, which that was. So those are my final games. It was harder to pick for 2018 because we're only seven months out of 2018 and therefore it's hard to really gauge where the trends really are at this point. So there you go. Favourites? Um, Spider-Man. I didn't even expect this to be anything. Kind of Spider-Man games tend to be sneered at a little bit. What a game this was. It was superb. I think mm-hmm. it's probably the best superhero game ever released. I think it's it's brilliant. It's paved the way for what superhero games can be. I can't wait for the sequel. Everything about it was exciting. I loved mm-hmm. playing it. It's the only game I've ever completed 100%. Like I said, I was that engaged because I just mm-hmm. kept on playing after I completed it. Um, yeah, it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's, a, it's a fantastic reason to own a PlayStation. You can spend hours just swinging around the city, climbing from buildings. You can actually play, play the plot. You know, it's just it's just a great game. Concerns me that this Avengers game that's coming out mm-hmm. looks a bit naff compared to this. Like, yeah. they set such a high benchmark, this Avengers game could have set it back a little bit, to be honest yeah. with you. I, I feel like, you know, Insomniac, from what I've seen of Spider-Man, they just kind of got everything right. Yeah, it felt like Spider-Man as well. Yeah. It was great. And like the roster of villains as well. It was great because you haven't played such with villains like the Green Goblin or anything yet. So they've saved people back for the sequel, mm-hmm. which is inevitable, which is great because you give you your roster of villains to look. The download content was great. Continued like side stories, which were brilliant. And they just got it right. It's just, it's the suit. It's probably one of the finest games on the PlayStation for a reason to go out and buy a console. I find that um, I've been restricted a little bit in my choices for games because I've been just one console for the past four or five years. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of sided with a, um, a machine that... Didn't realise I was still released GameCube games. Yeah, <laughs> though. No, but you, well, you would, would get a few. But this, the game that I've picked for, the, for last year is a game that uh, it exemplifies the good and the bad of modern gaming. Um, it's a game that requires you to have a group of friends available at the same time online to be able to play it to its maximum um, capacities. Uh, but it was when I when I did get to play with other like-minded people, I did have a lot of fun playing it. And that game was Sea of Thieves. Um, and there was just... I think when it first started, it was mm-hmm. a bit... It was, again, it was a game that there wasn't enough content for yeah. what they were asking you to do. But they've continued to add new elements to that so it's a game that's grown it hasn't grown at any additional cost to you as a game player mm-hmm. so you've the world has expanded and got better and, and has balanced a little bit more so it's not as it's not as tricky there are still moments where there are unpleasant people who just have more fun going around not playing the game intended but to make everybody else's life extremely difficult (laughs) so you can spend you can invest a lot of time and then some idiot can come along and just ruin hours worth of gameplay which is is a problem with online gaming because there are going to be those kind of people that just go yeah we're not interested in playing the actual missions or doing the bits where there's the exploration and the discovery and the, the whatever it is we just want to go around and just be horrible proving my point so if it was a local multiplayer game and stuff, that then it would be even better. You, yeah. But the on, the online reliance and the, the continuing online reliance of lots of games now is a little bit disappointing because it is. A, we all don't have the same systems. We all don't have the same free time, so it's difficult. Even if the, if us if we wanted to say right, we're all going to go online and play this game tonight, yeah. it would be incredibly difficult to organise that. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to do it um, with yeah. whatever. But it, it's a solid game. Gives me hope is that 
cross-platform does look like it's going to become a thing in the future. Yeah, yeah. especially with Microsoft. Yeah, so it, it's going to be a case of somebody can have a Nintendo Switch and somebody can have an Xbox One X and you can both play the same game mm-hmm. yeah. at the same time. Um, one thing as well that does please me about Sea of Thieves is it is good to see that Rare are working on things that aren't connect sports games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might not necessarily be back to sort of their heyday yeah. but it's good it's a step in the right is direction is there any employees left from their heyday uh, they are now called Playtonic and they made you claim <laughs> who's the person I offended by saying Sanjo 3 was, was now wasn't that the ukulele standard <laughs> EGX <laughs> yes um, do you have one then? I don't have a game for 2018 I have such a backlog Mm. I have just started playing Mad Max. Okay. So basically, Steam Summer Sale always rolls around. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pick up a few titles that I've missed out on. So I'll probably get around to my 2018 and 2019 games in about 2022. Yeah, that's better. Because um, I picked up Witcher 3, which is going to take forever. Yeah. And Mad Max, which is actually a better game than I was expecting. Yeah, I've heard sort of very mixed things about it. And some people really love it, and some people didn't really get on with yeah. it. So. There's, there's some. I, I played. Mad Max, and there's bit, some bits which are great, yeah. and there's some bits which are just utterly frustrating because yeah. it's really difficult. I it's think just capturing, simple things. capturing a base is quite awkward because, mm-hmm. well, they, they basically like force you not to be able to run or jump because Mad mm-hmm. Max's knee in it. So yeah. it's kind of... the, the, the bits I found most difficult were the ones where you have to drive and then shoot somebody in another yes. car, and it's like, look, am I either concentrating on the driving? Well, I'm concentrating on the shooty bit, but I can't do the two at the same time. I'm getting old now. I have a lot of the reactions <laughs> of a kind of lightning kid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, my favourite, I've touched on it before, it's probably not a surprise, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate. It's a really good game. Uh, just, let's bring back, let's bring everything from Smash Bros. history into one game. Just refine the gameplay, just make it a lot of fun, and and yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun. And that's why my favourite game of 2018. It'd be better if it was on multiple systems. No, not, yeah. not, not restricted to a system I do not possess yeah. at this point. I just right. got to get a Switch key. <laughs> I see, can see one over there. I might just uh, pick that up. Um, so yeah, that was um, 2018. So we're on to 2019, which I'm not going to do the same way because we're in the middle of 2019 and trying to decide what the best defining games of the year are right now. So, but let's have a look at where we're at within the games industry and within all of that right now and where things might potentially go in the future. At the moment we've got like new consoles coming at the end of next year. Project Scarlet. Project Scarlet and we've got the PlayStation 5 most likely hitting around the same sort of time. Uh, I, I love that. That shows the character of the two companies straight away. Yeah. It's like Microsoft tried to be all mysterious quality of products and then Sony 5. Done. Well, well <laughs> I do find it funny. I think PlayStation 4 had like a code name, but everyone yeah. knew it was just going to be called PlayStation 4 on release, yeah. so it was the biggest waste of time. I think at this point, I just got into PlayStation 5. Um, we've also got like the encroaching thing of subscription services and streaming coming. Google Stadia. Yeah, we've got Stadia, but also Microsoft, we've got their xCloud. Well, yeah. GeForce have been doing the GeForce Now streaming system for about three or four years, I think. Mm. Which is basically exactly what Google Stadia already is. Yeah. But um, I think the biggest problem for the streaming service is it's outside of Korea, Japan, yes. and America. Everywhere else just can't do it. Well, because you, say, you say America, Silicon Valley, yeah, yeah. specifically. Because most places aren't. Most places haven't got a robust enough. And I think it's that connection of if you're living in the tech sector and you, yeah, but the, there's no real world sight of. Yeah. Oh, broadband might not be 600 megabits per yeah. second with zero latency. And I think as well, Google are not really putting a good deal out there. No. Like, pay a subscription to get like high-quality games, but then you have to pay for each game individually. Well, are they doing it similar to like the kind of games with gold model? They are, yeah. You'll get one game which you have to pick up that month. Yeah. Mm. And a couple of indie titles. And if you don't no, no, it's one game, give or take. Basically. As their exact words is one one game give or take. So it's gonna be either two into titles or one triple A or nothing because they did say or take. I think the other thing that will affect that will be the intersection between five G 
and yeah. gaming. Mm-hmm. I think when when you when the five G network is offering better speeds and services than your kind of dialed in yeah. home networks, will that be where we well, we suddenly get to the point where high speed gaming is a viability? Well, this is the thing you've touched on mobile gaming, and I think mobile gaming it's going to start the next generation off very soon. I mean, mm-hmm. we've kind of reached the pinnacle of how a current smartphone works with a full screen. And I think there's stuff like the Asus ROG phone, we've had the Razer phone, I think Razer phone 2 is on the way. And there's there's quite a lot of people trying to penetrate the smartphone market mm-hmm. as a proper gaming ecosystem, yeah. rather than just your Mac 3 nerd mm-hmm. cash games. I which would really cool. hope the mobile market improves because yeah. it'd be nice to have like just some games to play on my phone to mess around with, but yeah. they're all trash right now. Yeah, as you said, there were some great games four or five years ago which yeah. were out on Android and yeah. iOS to pick up, and they seem to just evaporate into a mm-hmm. sea of match three. Yeah. Um, but also, we've got at the moment, we've got a lot of the, the big thing in the PC market is the Epic Game Store snapping up all the exclusives to try and compete with Steam, despite the fact that it lacks most of the features that Steam has mm. that makes Steam and work the way it does. And basically deploys a rootkit onto your PC yes, to see yeah. what other Steam games you already have. Yeah, which is questionable when you've got Tencent's involvement as well. Yes. So it's, it's questionable what uh, Epic are doing right now, but, uh, they're, but they're getting uh, cloud saves mm. soon. Two months too late. Wow! From their roadmap, yeah, uh, they still don't have a shopping basket. <laughs> um, you know these basic features that you yeah. expect. Well, I'm I'm looking forward to GOG. Um, if you've ever used the good old game service, which is owned by CD Projekt Red, they've mm-hmm. done a lot of development on their GOG Galaxy yes, one, and it's yeah. all DRM free in mm-hmm. most cases. And to be honest, it, it seems a robust competitive and the thing Steam from, one. And the thing from what they're doing there is they're also allowing you to bring in libraries from different yes. as well. So And on top of that is if you buy Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven from there, hundred mm. percent profit's gonna go directly to CD Project Red and not yeah. to thirty percent to Epic or thirty percent to Steam. Uh, we've also got obviously this constant battle between live services and single player narratives that I switched on. We're gonna see more of that I think, especially with you know, investors now starting to get concerned about live services because, well, everyone's already playing Fortnite. Why do they need to spend all their time playing something else? I think the whole persistency and having servers running as well is never good for a game because yeah. as soon as the servers get switched off, mm-hmm. you lose all access to that game. You can never repeat or replay that. I mean, even if you look at some of the old MMOs, I know we've got Warcraft Classic coming out yep. very soon. But like Star Wars Galaxies, when that got shut down, there was a massive yeah. roar about that online because people spent hundreds of uh, thousands upon thousands of dollars building their own little world inside yeah. the Star Wars Galaxy universe, which just got deleted. I yeah. think it's part of the reason why the Switch has been as popular a console as it has been, yeah. because the, the nature of Nintendo games are geared towards that single-player experience or the multiplayer local Yeah gaming so you're playing it through one device and you're not connecting to servers and live um live games like that so i think i think that is playing in nintendo's favor and and everybody else is now playing catch up yeah because but i think we're also going to see with live services a lot of the monetization things are starting to get challenged by the law yeah it's starting to come in so gambling commission and everything are getting wind of what's going on boxes we're looking at you know potential legislation against that so we're going to have to see developers shift yeah. well publishers shift I mean I did I would put a lot of time in Star Trek Online and the game will stop playing because they've just gone to a complete loot box model and they've yeah. gone free to play but when you're locking the best content so that only 0.01 players will ever get access to it on a random draw hmm. that that doesn't encourage a future gaming mm-hmm. methodology. So I'm hoping that these are stuff that's going to be resolved pretty soon in the yep. industry. Um, and then the sort of final thing I've got is where we're at and what's going. What do you guys reckon about the future of VR? Dead. Yeah. 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 I think, again, too early. 
We had the abortive attempt in the 1990s. I think people thought the technology had matured to the state where VR was going to be a solid thing. But until you're going to have something like two 4K mm. monitors running at 120 hertz in a headset with no overhead, mm-hmm. you're not going to get the fluid experience you want because people uh, are still going to get sick after about 20 minutes. My, my problem with it, um, I actually had, actually went on a rant about this very recently because there was an article on some game site which was saying, like, no, VR seriously is about to have its moment. Uh, I argued, like, here's why, here's my experience with it. Um, ended up with some guy on Twitter saying I was wrong, and his entire Twitter feed was just him going around finding people saying they don't like VR, telling them that they're wrong. I was just like, oh, I'm blocking you. Um, but it's it's things like my experience with VR was just uncomfortable. Um, it didn't give me motion sickness, but I kind of felt dissociated from what was going on, and I feel like that's a barrier that it's always going to have. I think we, you know, VR is always going to have that sort of physical barrier to success a lot of the time. We're going to get enough people that have those problems that, you know, motion sickness or they, or they just can't fit headset over their glasses, which or, is also a problem. Or can't actually see in, VR, see yeah. in 3D. Yeah. Or yeah. accidentally yeah. nearly feel so comfortable when you put the headset on, you like it. <laughs> <laughs> I was reaching for the controllers. But... I mean, this is the second time round for me. For VR, yeah. Yeah. and literally all that's changed is the graphical capabilities of the devices. Yeah. I think VR will never become a sustainable gaming model because it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's it's it isolates people too much. The thing that people have got to understand about gaming is even if you're not playing with another person, being in the same room as other people, and it's a social thing. This is a thing that I think people don't understand about gaming. Is they'll they'll say gaming isolates people and makes them kind of what's it but it, it's intrinsically a social thing mm-hmm. and i think the in a room with a screen i think the way for the way for things to go is bigger screens that can be more um, immersive in I terms of the detail that you can see on the screen but holographic i think scenes well. I, I don't even think a holographic route i don't I, holograph holographic Holographic things, even is an entertainment medium, I think it's a dead duck because it's never going to work because there's no point. It doesn't do anything more than what a TV does. Mm-hmm. It looks looks squishy and make people think they're in Star Wars, but it doesn't do anything better for the games. And I think that's where companies need to invest and go, actually, what we want to do is put, spend all of our money on making a good narrative and a good story that will engage people because a lot of the games that we've talked about as our picks have been incredibly narrative driven games, Mm. games with good stories, not necessarily games with good graphics or kind of any, any gimmicks. There's not an awful lot of gimmick driven games, but I think VR is is a dead duck and I don't think it's ever going to go anywhere. Okay. So wrapping everything up. So very briefly, just go around the room so what, you, what, what one game you think is on the decade and what, what, what briefing you're looking forward to in the next, next decade? Ryan? Um, I think Skyrim is going to have to be the game of the decade for me because it's, it's been released on every single system since its original yeah, launch. That was going to be my choice as well. Like when, well. when I saw it on my just going through the games yeah. for 2011, I was like, well, that needs to go down, which means that just because I saw it so quickly, yeah, it kind of has to be the decade because it's still... It's, it's, it's just, it's it was groundbreaking at its time and we've not seen something of its like since, I don't mm-hmm. think. Even, the, even with the buggy mess that Bethesda do, yeah. you're never going to get the volume and depth of lore in a game that you do. Mm-hmm. And okay. I think a lot of people go for but, Witcher. Plus, what other game has got, like, uh, can you have, like, Thomas the Tank Engine as a dragon? And, so. what, and, what, and what for, what do you reckon for the next 10 years, what's the thing you think might be big, the, the, the thing you're looking forward to happening in the next year? Um, the merging of PC and console gaming. Mm-hmm. I don't see many consoles past this next generation, except for stuff like the Nintendo Switch. I can't see the Xbox or the PlayStation surviving as consoles much longer. Okay, yeah. then. Yeah, I think I've got to go on a similar sort of tack and just see that I could see more cross-play coming in, which kind of... Casual play? No, just kind of, like, keeping things so that like, everyone can play with everyone regardless of what system. We're getting a lot of push towards that. Free love. 
Yes, free will. <laughs> and I just think we're going to see a lot of that going forward. Keith, briefly, game and predictions. I think of the games that I chose, my game of the decade will have to be Journey, just because it's just a beautiful experience. Uh, and it's just a game that just gets you into a game. It just, you know, there's nothing there. It's beautifully constructed. And I think what I'd like to see happen is pretty much the same as what people have said. It's a, it's a singularity of gaming that it doesn't become, I can play this game because I have this system or I can play it. I want to be able to play all the games. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, the games on the decade brand for Thor are Kind of huge. A game that's caused such a sensation as this is immense. It's the pinnacle of game making, I think. It's a it's a living breathing world. It's it's a it's a fascinating it's a stunning game. Next ten years, Buddy Two and Half Life Four. (laughs) Half Life Four is never Half Life Four you no chance. Yeah, I I love the idea that we just skip Half Life Three and just go straight to four. Well we know Val have an issue with the number three, so it could be that they just do go to four. Yeah, the episode one and two that they did, that's three, and then we're going straight to four. (laughs) Half Life Part Two A. (laughs) (laughs) Alright, so We'll wrap the show up now, but you know, I like to have a little game, a little bit of fun, so I've done some crap game <laughs> descriptions. If Lee doesn't win this, I'd be very gutted. Alright, so I've got a list here, so you get the answer, shout your name out. Okay? First one. Smug bloke climbs walls and explores things and kills a lot kills lots of people without feeling bad about it. Takes what ain't of his. That's uncharted. It's correct. <laughs> Uh, okay, second so dodgy experiment in a science place causes a massive disaster. A bloke with glasses saves the day. Keith, Ryan, damn it. That's Keith. Uh, Half Life. It was Half Life. Uh, to be fair, when that started, it could be like anything. <laughs> <laughs> the glasses. The glasses gave it away. Okay. Uh, animal runs around vandalizing boxes with his tongue hanging out. Ryan. Yoshi. Ryan. Damn it. Animal runs around vandalizing boxes Lee. with his tongue hanging out. Crash Bandicoot. Yeah. The tongue threw me, but now I think about it, yeah. Why did, we should get Crash Bandicoot, the uh, Uncharted saga. <laughs> we did. It was in Uncharted 4. <laughs> right. uh, making lots of cash for things you should get an Asbo for. Keith, Grand Theft Auto. Yeah. Uh, getting to be a hoodie throughout time. Ryan, Assassin's Creed. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, a ball that can get bigger pops around a dreamy place. Ryan, Katamari Damancy. I don't even know what you just said. See, that's where I would have gone with the bar. That is pretty much Katamari Damancy. Is that ball? A, more, a ball type that gets bigger pops around a dreamy place. Lee, is it the blob? No. Okay. Can you try it one more time? No, I'm not going to get it. It's Kirby's Dreamland. Uh, okay. Uh, okay, uh, the next one. Sorting out issues in school for people. Lee. It's Bully, isn't it? Yes, well, yeah. I knew Bully had to be in there. You had to be in there. Little triangle ship shooting at rocks. Ryan, asteroids. Yeah. Uh, little fat man has to save woman out of his league. Ryan, Super Mario. <laughs> uh, that just autocorrected your name to Ray on my tablet. Keep it with Ray Parish. Uh, not a father and duo fight funky faced people. Repeat. Okay. No, just repeat what you said. All right, not a fa- not a father, not a father and daughter. I'm saying Keith again. Fight from it's the Last of Us. It is yeah. the Last of Us, yeah. Uh, a bunch of misfits drive around, throwing stuff each other. Ryan, Mario Kart. Let me finish the sentences, <laughs> Ryan. Jump in. I started to finish. <laughs> I put Keith down. He's going that right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not cheating. You're doing it. Uh, intelligent woman goes looking for things and usually meddles in business that doesn't concern her. I was going to say Tomb Raider, but... It, it is Tomb Raider, Okay. okay. Uh, Lee, you are not doing well on this. Casting characters meet emo characters in confusing battle for something. Ryan, Lee. Kingdom Hearts. I almost went with Smash Bros. <laughs> People pretend to play things they might not usually be able to play and not in time. There's two answers on tape for this. Ryan, a Wii Music. Ryan's out. Keith, Guitar Hero. Yeah. Wii Music. So when you said in time, I was literally thinking of time travel. <laughs> uh, space animals engage in intergalactic war. Lee? 
The Star Fox. It is Star Fox, yeah. Uh, playing Cowboys and Indians. Kate Ryan. He. Red Dead Redemption. Yeah. Same game every year with little difference. Kate Ryan. FIFA. <sighs> Medieval Lifestyle Simulator. It's not. Uh, is it Skyrim? It is Skyrim. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, like a few answers popping <laughs> around my head. I was like, which one is most likely? I'll go with Skyrim. Uh, moving blocks around to get lines. Key one. Key Tetris. Yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, final one. Arrogant man with a buzz cut says so sets this line, shoots pigs and things. Case. It would yeah. be a gross shag. Oh. Uh, oh Christ! Lee. I was going to say. Um, Serious Sam? Not Serious Sam. He's out. That uh, is a Duke Nukem. That's Duke Nukem. too I meant. <laughs> That's too I meant. God damn it. Okay, so but I effectively keep on this. Because his name's pretty much all over my tablet. It's because That's, got, just, that's just your tablet. He's just very good at sharing his own name. <laughs> it's because he's only got a sil- single syllable name. <laughs> I'm going... <laughs> <laughs> and Keith... <laughs> I mean, so do I, but I'm just slowing it. <laughs> Lee's even better than Keith. <laughs> Thank you very much yep. for our Game of the Decade special. Thank you. Where can we find you online? You can find me on YouTube at VotFetFerret, where you can see me playing plenty of games. And you can find me on Twitter at TheCheapFerret, and I do a gaming round of every Friday on our website, geekybrummy.com. Keith, where can we find you? You can find me at Hardlock underscore Hotel on Twitter. The same uh, game attack on Xbox. Um, and uh, pretty much everywhere on the other bits of the internet. Guy, we're not thinking of a crap game descriptions. Where can we find you? You can find me on H as well. And you can find me... I ain't got anything. There's no puns. You can find me eating mushrooms and jumping on blocks. Uh, Ryan (laughs) Parrish. Popping down tubes. (laughs) Yes. Food is stuff on Brummy Gourmand and you find us all at Geeky Brummy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, geekybrummy.com. Uh, Geeky Rummy YouTube channel. Go and like and subscribe and share. And ko-fi.com forward slash Geeky Rummy. But for now, goodbye everybody.